Word Show. So we've been in John. We're in this series we're calling Believe. Last week, Jesus dropped a theological truth bomb on the Jewish religious leaders, and uh, they picked up what he was putting down. The message was delivered, and they've connected all the dots, and they cannot believe what they're hearing. This is just kind of blowing their minds right now, but they're getting angry. In fact, uh, they want to kill him. They want to kill him. Jesus was calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Now today, we don't maybe understand why someone would be so angry with that because we live in a world where many of us think, that's cool. You do you, Jesus. You know, you're equal with God. Good for you. You know, I'm gonna, I'll do me, you do you. So to understand why this was such a big deal to the Jews, you need to understand that they were the most fiercely monotheistic people in the ancient world. Monotheism, mono meaning one, theism meaning God. They, they worship one God and one God only. And they were not to be like their neighboring nations who were polytheistic, poly many gods. So they worshiped many gods. They were not to be like this. To reinforce this, all Jews learned a prayer at a young age. And it's something that they recite daily. It's called the Shema. And it's called the Shema because that's the first uh, word in Hebrew that begins this prayer. And it means hear or listen. Because this was to be a reminder to them of the importance, the weight, the gravity of, of their monotheism. And the, the words are found in Deuteronomy 6. Here they are. Hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And this idea was even baked into their own law. Or to put it better, uh, more precisely, it was etched into stone tablets by the finger of God on Mount Sinai as it was covered in darkness and smoke and fire. And as Moses was up there meeting with God, God gives him the laws on stone tablets for his people. And the first two commandments were these, found in Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. In fact, even in their own history, so it's in their law, it's in their prayer, it's in their history. As a nation, the fact that they abandoned the one true God, they started worshiping other gods, they left the one true God, Yahweh, and he kicked them out of their land. He sent them into exile as a form of judgment. The Babylonians took over, they burned the temple to the ground, 
Uh, Jerusalem was, was destroyed. And we see these words in uh, Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Nor my praise to carved idols. So message delivered. There's one God. There's only one God that must be worshipped. And so when Jesus comes along, so take all that, kind of put it together. Now it comes along Jesus, and he's claiming equality with God. He's got their attention. They're thinking to themselves, we've seen this episode. We know where this goes. We've been down this road before. No, we're not having it, Jesus. We're not having it. We're already under Roman occupation. Things could get much worse. We want, we want the Romans out. If we maintain our, our devotion to the one true God, then perhaps you know, he'll deliver us from the Roman occupation and kick them out of here. But now here comes this guy, Jesus, saying he's equal with God. Nope. And now they want him dead. Now, to be fair, this is not an easy concept. The Christian faith is monotheistic. Jesus wasn't promoting multiple gods. We believe in one true God, but the one true God is a trinity or a triunity. He is one in essence and three in personhood. One what and three who's. It's not easy to understand. This is why uh, you might be familiar with any number of analogies. Uh, Anyone ever hear a Trinity analogy before? Yeah? It's okay. You can raise your hand. This is like, we're here together. This is, yeah, there we go. Trinity, so let me me see if I can stir your memory here. Who's heard this one? God is like water. Water can be in three different forms, liquid, solid, and vapor. God is like the sun. Anyone hear that one? God is like the sun. Uh, Father is fire. Son is light. The spirit is the heat. Uh, Or uh, one God, but just in three roles. Like one man is both a husband and a father and a, a worker. Or, this is clever, it's like a math problem. Instead of God being one plus one plus one, it's one times one times one. Huh? Clever? Or, you had to have heard this one. God is like an egg. Uh, he's made up of one, one egg, right? But you've got the shell, and you've got the white, and you've got the yolk, right? Uh, or, you have to have heard this one, the three-leaf clover. Anyone hear the three-leaf clover before? You know? It's, it's one clover, and there's three kind of um, petals to it, Right? Okay, so anyone ever taught any of those at any point in your life? Maybe as a child, you heard it somewhere, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so now take that. I'm going to get in trouble here. Take that and just put it out of your mind. Put it out of your, throw it away, because none of those analogies describe the biblical trinity. Even worse, even worse, they actually lead to heresies That developed in the early church and were rejected uh, way back, 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. The church established uh, what the Bible taught about this three-in-one God, this Trinity. And they rejected many of these heresies 
and the Council of Nicaea. Now today, we have the Nicene Creed, which is the historically accepted teaching on the Trinity that all Christian churches across all denominations agree with. And if you take it seriously, if you take seriously the teaching of the Nicene Creed, which is the teaching from the scriptures, if you take that seriously, you cannot take any of these analogies seriously. You cannot take them seriously. The problem with these analogies is that they they use categories. They use categories that we do understand in an attempt to help us to understand God's nature, which we don't understand. And the challenge with this is that God is in an entirely different category unto himself, and he's unlike any category that we've ever encountered in the created universe. So we can't use known categories to understand God's nature. For example, if you've never seen a rabbit before, I could use categories that you do understand to help you kind of grasp what a rabbit is, right? So I could tell you, you know, a bunny has soft fur. And you could think, oh, I know what soft fur feels like. I have a cat, so I can, okay, so I'm with you so far. A bunny has ears, okay. I, you know, I've seen ears on a dog or a cat. Uh, they're just much longer. So, okay, now I'm thinking just ears, only longer, right? Uh, or uh, it has a tail, but it's really small. So we know, again, that category, we understand the tail. It's just very small. Uh, or it has teeth, kind of like a rodent, but it's not really a rodent family kind of thing. Uh, so now we have this picture right? We've used categories that we understand to now form this picture of what a bunny is. My point is this. Jesus' equality with God is not an easy thing to wrap our minds around. And on one level, this is a good thing. Imagine, if we could fully understand God in his nature, we could put it in a little box and Put a nice bow on it, and there's our God. How small would our God be if we could do that? How small would he be? There's, it, it's good and it's healthy to have some mystery to God's nature that, that we don't understand. We're finite people. We're created creatures. If we could understand the infinite God... How small would that God be? In our passage today, we're just getting warmed up, by the way. Everyone, you warmed up yet? Ready to go? All right. That's all introduction. Uh, In our passage today, Jesus is going to drill down into this idea that God is his Father and that he is equal with God. He's going to give us reasons for it. He's going to give the purpose for it. And he's going to show what our response to his equality with God should be. So go ahead, grab your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5, verses 18 to 29. If you don't have a Bible, make use of the one on the pew there. If you don't have a Bible or don't own a Bible, then please take that one with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, We'd love nothing more than for you to have a Bible. Uh, So once you're there, If you're able, please stand with me out of reverence for God's word and follow along with me as I read.
This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It is powerful and rich. Sharper than any two-edged sword dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Father, may your word divide us this morning. May it open our hearts and may it, like a seed, take root and bear fruit for your kingdom. Change us today, Holy Spirit. Make us more like Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right, Jesus will reason for his divine equality with the Father. He will give the purpose for his divine equality with God, and he will show how we must respond. Reason, purpose, response. There it is. We're going to get going on that. Look at verse 19. Jesus starts out by making it clear that he is not independent from the Father. He is not some rival deity like the gods of Israel's polytheistic neighbors in the Old Testament. In verses 19 through 22, Jesus, he's going to give us four reasons why his equality with God uh, makes sense. In your Bibles, they all begin with the word for, or the Hebrew word gar, for, okay? So it's really easy for us to see them. The first four is in the middle of verse 19, found in John uh, 5, 19. Here we are. For 
Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. This is an astounding claim because for anyone to claim that he can do all that the Father does, that person must be equal with God and must be as divine as God the Father. For anyone to claim whatever the Father does, I do. That's, you know, it's like the, the, the Jewish religious leaders are thinking, man, you're, you're claiming equality with God? And Jesus is like, yep. Let me, let me unpack this for you. Let me show you how this makes sense. Whatever God does, I do, right? Uh, he's, he's doubling down here. Whatever the Father does, I do. And because of that, he's, he's equal with God. He's just as divine as God. No more, no less. And this does not diminish God in any way. For the second four, we look to verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Here, Jesus is explaining how, how is it possible for him to do all that the Father does? It's because of love. You see it? For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Love, love is the strongest of all bonds. And the love of the Father for the Son is shown or displayed in in the, in, in the way in which he shows him, he discloses everything that he does to the Son. There's no secrets between God the Father and God the Son. Because the Father loves Jesus, he shows him everything. He shows him everything. And the love of the Son for the Father is shown in that everything that he sees... He per- perfectly obeys. So we have this relationship between God the Father and God the Son where God the Father shows the Son everything that he's doing. And Jesus, because he loves the Father, oh, perfectly obeys everything that he sees God the Father doing. So we have this disclosure and obedience relationship here between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus does all that he does. He does all the Father does. And when he does this, he's actually showing us what God the Father is like by doing everything that God the Father does. And this is why it doesn't diminish God the Father. It, 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 it gives glory to God the Father. Because when we look at Jesus, we see the Father. Because they're the same. They're, 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 they're both God. All right. Now Jesus adds... And, you know, oh, by the way, if, if you think you've seen something special, to this point we've seen Jesus do things like turning water into wine at a wedding. He's uh, healed a sick boy. He's uh, healed a, um, an invalid, right? So there's, there's all these things that are going on, and, and he's saying, you know, you think you've seen some things. Well, there's more to come, and they're greater than even what you can imagine. Uh, and their purpose is so that you may marvel, Right? Jesus' works, Jesus' miracles are for the purpose of, of drawing us in just to be in awe of who he is and what he's doing. Okay, now look at uh, the third four in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. 
the writers of the Old Testament rightly assigned to God alone the ability to take and to give back life. We see this, one of Israel's kings, this is the words of one of Israel's kings, 2 Kings 5. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That was a common understanding in the Old Testament that God alone could take life and to give life. He could make alive again. And arguably the, the greatest power in the universe is the ability to give life. I mean, think about all of the, the modern technological advancements that we've made uh, to this point in human history. And you know what? Scientists have tried, but they can't even create the smallest little speck of life. You know? Uh, they've tried and they can't. You know? Where does life come from? The power to give life is the greatest power that we could, we could ever imagine. And if Jesus can give life as the Father gives life, then surely all of God's power has got to be in him. If he can give life, what can't he do? Right? So he's equal with God. Here's another argument for his equalness with God. That he has all of God's power in him. He's got to be equal in power and equal in, in deity with the Father. And for the last four, look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now here's the really the first distinction really between the Father and the Son. Uh, but notice how the authority to judge comes from the Father. All right? He gives it. He gives the authority to the Son. Verse 27, he gets even more specific. He says, uh, he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. This is notable. This is the first time that Jesus uses this title, Son of Man, and applies it to himself. You you need to understand, the Son of Man was a title uh, in the Old Testament. It was a mysterious figure found in the book of Daniel. And look at Daniel 7. Here's, Here's the context in which we find the Son of Man from the Old Testament. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. This dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This shows that Jesus is not some new kid on the block claiming to be equal with God, but that his authority and his role as the Son of Man were predicted years and years and years before in the Old Testament. To summarize his point, Jesus is equal with God. Ready? Let's review our four fours. He does all that the Father does. And the Father shows him all that he does because he loves him. And Jesus does all that the Father does 
with all the power and authority that the Father has. So that's the first point. Those are the reasons that Jesus is equal with God. But why? Why? What's the purpose? That's the second point. The purpose of equality. Verse 23 begins with the word that. Jesus is, this is Jesus' why. This is the purpose for his equality with God. All of this, so that, look at 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The purpose for Jesus' equality with God is so that all honor, all will honor him and worship him. In fact, we, if we do not worship Jesus as God, if we don't worship him as God, then we don't worship God truly at all. Because we must honor the Son as, as the Father is honored. And this is why Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses do not worship the true God. Because if they did, they would worship Jesus as equal with God in essence and in power and in authority and in deity. But they don't. They don't. That's why we consider Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons to be a cult because they don't worship the true God. It's a distortion or a perversion of the true God. And it's not a true God that they worship because they don't worship Jesus. They don't honor Jesus in the same way the Father is. Jesus is making clear here that he's not only equal to God the Father in activity and power, but he's also equal in honor. He's equal in honor. He must be honored just as the Father is honored. And this means that Jesus is not merely some ambassador sent by a monarch to represent his interests. And this is because an ambassador is never given the same honor that's due to a head of state. That never happens. So Jesus isn't some ambassador sent by God. He's not a prophet or just a prophet sent by God. He's more. The Jews were right to pick up on Jesus' teaching that he's equal with God, but they thought that in some way this diminished God. But it doesn't. Because to honor the Son is to show honor to the Father as well. It doesn't diminish God at all. This is the line the Jewish religious leaders refused to cross. For Jesus to say these things about himself, there's really only two ways to respond. And this is my final point. How must we respond to Jesus if he's equal with God? There's only two options. For Jesus to claim to be equal with God demands that either we scorn him and reject him, or we bow before him and worship, and we worship him. There's only two options. There is no intellectual middle ground. You've either got to reject him flat out, or you, or you bow down and worship him. Those are the only two options. Listen to how, I love this, I love C.S. Lewis. Uh, listen to how he describes this choice in his book, Mere Christianity. 
think I've got slides for it, so you can follow along with me. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would, be, he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can't shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The irony here is that the Jewish leaders were making a judgment about Jesus. And they ultimately decided to kill him. That's the route they took. We're going to reject him. We're going to scorn him. We're not going to bow down and worship him. They're going to reject him. So they decided to kill him. That's the judgment that they made. But the irony is that in reality, they should have been much more concerned with Jesus' judgment of them. Here they are making a judgment on Jesus when Jesus is going to judge them. And this is what Jesus is saying here. You've judged me, but it is I who will ultimately judge you and will judge the world. Some judge Jesus and they they write him off and they never come to him in the first place. But here's a word for you briefly. If you follow Jesus for any amount of time, we need to be careful of this too. Because our consumer culture has so conditioned us to make judgments on just about everything. We use Google reviews. We, we use Amazon stars. We need to be careful not to bring this into the church or even worse, in our approach to Jesus. How does this happen? Well, on the most basic level, it begins with a focus on us. It's looking at ourselves too much. And, and we ask questions like, uh, you know, did I like the music today? Was that my preferred style of music? Uh, did, did the sermon make me feel good? Uh, or did enough people uh, say hello to me today uh, to make me feel friend, uh, to, to be friendly? Uh, and on one level, those aren't wrong questions to ask. It's, you know, it's, it's good in some ways to ask those questions. But it, it, and it's okay to have preferences about things like music and styles. But notice, the focus is all on you. Better questions to ask when you're coming to worship are these, ready? Uh, was, was Jesus pleased with the attitude of my heart today? What, what did Jesus think of the worship service today? Did, was Jesus honored? I hope, he, I, hope, I hope he really liked it, you know? Or uh, did, you know, did it honor him? 
You know, so when, when you're on the car ride home, try to, try to work against that, um, that impulse, that consumer-minded impulse to say, yeah, that was a good service. I like, I like that service. You know, but to ask your, you know, talk with your spouse or your family, your kids, you know, hey, do you think Jesus really liked that? You know, do you think Jesus was honored today you know, on, on the ride home? Let me wrap this up here. Look at verses uh, 28 and 29. One day, by the power of his word, all of the dead of the earth will hear his voice. Talk about power. This should make us think about you know, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let there be light. And so it was, right? The power to create, the power to give life. And here we see in verses 28 and 29, one day all the dead of the earth will hear the voice. They'll hear the voice of the Son of Man. And they're going to they're get up. It's going to animate them. Think about the dry bones in the valley of, uh, the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel, right? All these dead bones, they're going to they're come alive again. They're going to hear the voice of the Son of Man. They're going to come out of their tombs. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the judgment that Jesus will make. Now this sounds like Jesus is going to judge us based on how good of a person we were. But John defines his terms Uh, He's done it already in his gospel, but later on in in chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus says, this is the work of God. This is the work of God. Right? What, What is doing good? It's this, that you believe. That you believe in him who he has sent. That's the work of God. And the opposite of that is, is to do evil is to not believe. Right? That's, that's the evil that he's talking about here. The truth is this. Jesus lived the only perfect life. And everyone else has failed because of sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sins, all of your sins, upon himself and was judged. He was judged. He was first judged. And he was found guilty. Because he bore all of our sins. He bore the full weight of the wrath of God that should have been directed toward us. He was judged. And he was rejected. He was rejected by the Father. This is why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was rejected by the Father. Think about everything that we've said today to this point about him and the Father being, being so one. And now here on the cross, he's being rejected. Can you imagine the pain? The pain in his soul? He was judged for your sin. If you believe in him by turning from your sin and trusting him to forgive you, if you believe, that's the good work. If you do that good work of belief, Jesus will give you his perfect record of obedience. He gives it to you. Remember he said everything he sees the Father doing, he does. And he obeys perfectly because he loves the Father. We failed to do that, every single one of us. And he's going to give us that record. 
that perfect record he's going to give to us. So that on the day of judgment, when we're judged by Jesus, we're going to be judged by Jesus' record and not our own. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? We're going to be judged by Jesus' record, not my own. Wow. The only good you can do is to believe Jesus and to receive his forgiveness and to receive his righteousness. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, you too will, will be a part of that resurrection to life. One day when uh, you've passed on and you're put in the ground or cremated or whatever, you're going to hear the voice of the Son of Man and you're going to come out. And you're going to come out to the resurrection of life if you've, if you've put your trust in Jesus. And the reality is this. The, the alternative is to do evil by rejecting Jesus and to rise to the resurrection of, of judgment and, and of condemnation and hell. Someone will be judged and pay for your sin with their life. It, it, you can pay for your own sin by rejecting Jesus. That's an option. You can pay for your sin with your own life and die. Or you can trust Jesus to pay with his own life. Those are the options put before you. The choice is yours. Jesus says this in verse 25. And we'll end with this. Truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming. It is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is different from 28 and 29. 28 and 29, that's future. There's going to be a literal resurrection. People are going to come out of their tombs, out of their graves, right? But now, he's talking about spiritually dead. If you're here and you're spiritually dead, the voice of God is is calling out to you, calling you to believe Will you hear and live? That's for now. Will you hear the voice of God and turn to him and live? The hour is here. The time is now. All you who are spiritually dead, hear the voice of the Son of God and believe and Jesus will forgive you. He'll give you eternal life and you will know for certain that you'll be a part of that resurrection to life in the future. If you receive the life he offers now, Hear the voice of the Son of God and come to him this morning. I'm going to end with that, but I want to tell you this. If you're here and you need to make peace with God and you haven't, if, if, you know, ask yourself this question, you know, that resurrection to come. How will Jesus judge me? If you're not sure how to answer that, you probably don't have the life that you need to have that Jesus can give you, that only Jesus can give you. But you can know for certain today if you turn to him, ask him to forgive you and to give you life. Uh, I'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe you could talk to the person who brought you or invited you today. Um, but that's, that's the most important thing anyone can do is to respond, to hear the, the, the voice of the Son of Man and to respond and have life. And so I pray that if anyone here needs life today, if you're dead spiritually and you need life I want you to get it today. So come see me after. Uh, talk to the person who brought you. I'll actually be out by the front doors uh, after the service. You can come see me there. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are equal with God the Father. 
in power and in activity and in honor. Father, uh, may we uh, appropriately worship the Son as it gives honor to you as well. And Father, may we all respond. Help us to, or keep us, Father, rather from, from uh, coming in here with consumer mindsets and, and, and making judgments. <clears throat> but Father, may we be mindful of, uh, of what you think of us. God, help us to, to do that. And Father, we pray that should there be anyone here who needs life, that life would come to them today as they hear the voice of the Son of God, the Son of Man, live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.